Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Mark chapter 4. We're launching into a brand new season this month, and uh, I want to remind you of a couple very important truths that you need to hold on to as we're heading into this new season. The first is this. God has a plan, has a purpose for his church, for the world, and his plan will move forward despite every effort, every plot, every plan to keep it at bay. What, what he has purposed, he will do. What he has promised, he will fulfill. Uh, he will complete, and it's guaranteed that that will happen. I remember a prayer meeting in the second chapter of Acts, or in one of the chapters of Acts, where, where the, the people are saying, why is it that these folks think that they can put a stop to you? God, you're not going to let them stop you. And that's the truth. The, the next thing that you need to understand is that you have been brought to the kingdom for this time, for this season. It's not by accident. It's not a mistake. You're here on purpose right now. God is at work in you. God is at work through you. He's working his purposes in and through you. And as long as you draw breath, there is a God-appointed purpose for you to be here. There's a God-appointed purpose for you to be here. The union of these two truths, God at work with purpose and in and through your life, will rest on the decisions that you make, on, on the choices that you are in front of you. And, and when you wake up tomorrow and how you live on Tuesday and where you turn on Wednesday and the priorities that you hold on Thursday and the way you order your time on Friday and how you respond on Saturday, all of that should be viewed in view of those two statements. God has a purpose and God wants your life. Last week, I indicated that there was a verse that we would focus on, give definition to the year that is in front of us, and it's Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. And, and it's the words of Jesus, and it's an invitation to you and to me and to us as a church about how we should live intentionally, how we should operate in this coming year. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. In a word, what I am saying is this, grow up. Your kingdom subjects, live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously, live graciously towards one another. The way God lives towards you. It's an invitation for you and I to be mature, to grow, to develop, to live up to our rights and our responsibility as the children of the king who, who never dies and never fails. Live out our God-created identity, our God-given purpose. To live carefully. To be generous in how we live and how we love. To connect and be gracious to the people that God puts in front of our lives. Look at how God behaves and loves us and then live in that same way towards others. I would love for you to write out that verse. And, and as I said last week, put it somewhere that you can see it, think about it, meditate on it every day for the next 11 months. The more intentional, the more focused that we are on this invitation, the more it will mean, the greater it will speak to us, and the greater impact it will have on our lives. It's time to become mature. It's time to become weight-bearing kingdom subjects, committed to the mission of Christ, committed to the cause of Christ. Now is the time, is what the word says, to grow and to develop. 
we went to a story that we're going to return to this week. And uh, it's in Mark chapter 4. It's a a story that's a teaching. It's an illustration that Jesus gives. And it takes place on a farm. And last week we spoke about the farmer. The focus that he has when he goes out on the land and plants the seed in the spring. He's a man on a mission. He he watches the time. He prepares. He's ready to take the seed to sow. Sow it in the ground and, and wait for the summer to pass. And then to be busily engaged in bringing in the harvest. He has to have success in the field. He has to at least get ten times what he put into the field back again. He needs seed for feed. He needs seed to sow so that he can look after the other necessities of life. And he needs seed for next season. And so he has to have a 10 to 1 return on his investment. His hope, the indication that he has had a good year, is when he has at least 10 bags of of harvest for every bag of seed that he sowed. If you were not here last Sunday, I encourage you to go back online and get the message and listen to it. It's important if you want to understand and see where we're going this year. Today, we're not focusing on the farmer, but we're focusing on the farm. We're focusing on the ground. The the picture that Jesus has for us is a farm in his day, not in our day. Debbie and I live on an acreage, and for the last three or four weeks, we have been watching the big machinery, the the, the swathers and the and 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 the uh, harvesters come in and and go through the fields. In the spring, these huge tractors pulling plows and cedars went through the land and dug it all up and planted seed. And then after that, they came and sprayed and fertilized, uh, got rid of weeds, and and then they just sit back and wait for this moment that we're in right now to go back out onto the field and bring in the harvest. In Jesus' day, there were no tractors. Machinery was missing. It it was all manual. It was all back-breaking operation. And in the spring, the farmer would walk out with two two sacks on his shoulder, and he would reach into them, and he would systematically walk back and forth, up and down the aisle, up and down the row, scattering seed. And he would repeat that process row after row until the entire property was seeded. And and that's where we join this story. That's where Jesus is when he's telling us. And and we read this first part last week when we focused on the farmer, and now we reread the first part and then go into the second part on the meaning and the significance of the farm. But, But listen to the intention. Understand Jesus speaking, Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 3. Listen. A farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Another seed fell on shallow soil and with underlying rock, and the seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. And other seed fell among thorns and and grew up and and choked out the tender plants so they produced no grain. Still other seed fell on fertile soil and it sprouted and it grew and it produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a hundred times as much as had been planted. 
Now, Jesus is, is speaking to a crowd, and, and the audience is made up of a lot of different kinds of people. They're made up of his disciples, made up of, of believers who are listening. There, there are those who are curious and interested but not yet committed. There, there are skeptics, and there are religious experts, and, and there are some people who have no interest at all. They saw a crowd going out, and they thought, well, maybe that'll be a good place to meet some girls, and so they went. The, the crowd is, is a mixed crowd. But at the end of the story, Jesus asks the question of, of all who are in attendance. He turns to them and he says, are you listening to what I've been saying? Are you really listening? Are you wanting to learn? Are you wanting to move from where you are to where God wants you? What I've said has significance. It has import. It's for you. And then he stops. And after a while, the crowd disperses, and, and he and his disciples are moving on. And as they move on, it's just Jesus and his followers. The followers say to Jesus, I have questions. I heard what you said, but I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. Can you please teach us what it is you wanted us to hear? We heard the story, but we don't understand it. I love this. I, I love that Jesus includes that in the story because it means that we can always ask the, ask the questions that come up in our own experience. We don't have to pretend that we understand when we really don't get it. I, I, I always have a lot of questions. My, my brother and I, he lives in Victoria, and I call him just about every day, and he'll say something, and I say, but I have questions. And he says, of course you do. You always have questions. But I've just learned that it's one of the best ways to learn, to ask questions. Not to imagine that everybody's going to think you're dumb because you don't ask the questions, but get the questions out there. And, and Jesus says, because you belong to me, you've been given insight into how the kingdom of God works. Holy Spirit will teach you how it works. But my stories create a readiness in those who don't yet see or understand. It, it nudges them, it pushes them ahead toward a spiritual and welcome awakening. And the curiosity is making them think about what I say. It makes them wrestle with what, I, with what I've said. And it, and it confronts them with truths that they haven't really thought through yet. He says, at this moment, they have eyes, but they don't really see what God is doing. They don't really see what's happening. They have ears, but they're, they're not tuned to what God is saying. At this moment, they have decisions to make, but they're stubborn and not ready to go forward, not ready yet to change the direction of their life. And Jesus asks his followers, do you see how the story works? Do you understand why it is I tell stories? I've had a couple of people come to me and say, you tell too many stories. We, we, we just want the word. Well, I'm sorry, I'm a storyteller, I love stories, I live for stories, and I come from a long line of storytellers, but we follow Jesus who told stories. It's how we understand. 
And, and the truth is, is at this moment, we, don't, we didn't understand. The disciples say to him, we don't understand the stories. So he took this story of the farmer and the farm, and he starts to peel back the metaphor, and he breaks it down into its important parts. And so we are now in chapter 4, Mark chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. He says, the planter, the farmer, plants the word. Some people are like the seed that falls on hardened soil of the road. No sooner do they hear the word than Satan snatches away what, he has, what has been planted in them. You need to know, you need to understand about the farmer. At the time of the telling of the story, the farmer is, is Jesus. He's, he's planting the word, but eventually it will become you men who are listening to him, and eventually it's you and I. But eventually it will be you. Whoever goes into the field to plant the seed is the farmer. So learn to see. Learn to look at what's going on. Also, the seed, you need to understand, the seed is the word of God. It's, it's what God speaks to people. It's the invitation to become kingdom subjects. It, it's heaven's light in the darkness of this world. It, it, it's, it's the agent, agent of change. It's the hope of the world. It, it's what changes people's lives. Every part of Scripture, every word spoken by God carries life-giving breath. And, and is useful in one way or another in our, in our lives. Showing us truth, First Timothy, or Second Timothy says. Showing us truth, exposing our, our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the tasks that God has for us. It's, it's this reformation that comes via the word of God into our life and changes us. So, so we know who the farmer is and we understand the seed. Now Jesus speaks about the farm, about the different kinds of soil, the, the receptivity that's found in different hearts. Some people, some fields, describing people and their response to their encounter with the word of God, th th there are some people who have hardened their heart to the message of hope. The seed falls on that hard ground, but the heart rejects the message. It's just decided, I'm going to live the way I live, and nobody's going to change me. I'm not open to change at all. Seed needs the warmth, needs the nutrition of soil, but, but this ground refuses to open up to receive, to welcome the seed. And so in the original telling of the story, he said that birds came and ate the seed and there was no crop, there was no change, there was no repentance, there was no transformation. But Jesus, in telling his disciples this, reveals who the birds are. He says, Jesus reveals that these hard-hearted people are people who have been broken and hurt and Satan comes and snatches away what's been planted before it has a chance to take root. I want you to see the importance of what's being said here. Hell is so afraid of the power of the word of God in your life that it will do anything, will go to any length to keep you from encountering and being transformed by the word of God. 
If we hear, if we adopt, if we become what the word of God wants us to hear and, and to adopt and to become, we become an incredible threat to the darkness and we must be stopped at all costs. That's huge. That's huge. Don't miss that. The enemy will tell you that you're not very important. You're, you're not even necessary. Why are you even here? Nobody cares. And that's all a lie. When you come, you bring something of God that only you possess. And, and I want you to see that. I want you to see th- th- that from the very important part of, of the beginning here. From the time you were born, there is an enemy who aims to punch you right in the, in the chest and break your heart. To cause you to live with pain disappointment, disillusionment, so that your heart will never receive hope, never be open to the transformation that God intends for you to receive. We're talking about something bigger and more important than than the lottery prize or the greatest scientific discoveries or wars and rumors of war. We're talking about the seed that heaven is focused on getting into your heart so you can be transformed and you can join the purposes of God. When we pray for our kids, let us be praying that God protects their hearts so they're always soft, always malleable, that that the enemy doesn't get that opportunity to punch them in the chest and break their hearts. If we're a people of prayer, let's pray. Let's pray for that. In this ground, the seed is rejected by the hard heart and by Satan stealing the seed, and the message has no effect. There comes no change. Jesus says that's one kind of field. Then he takes us to another. And, And some are like the seed that lands on the soil that has gravel under it. When they first hear the word, they respond with great enthusiasm. But there's such shallow soil of character that when emotions wear off and some difficulties arrive, there's nothing to show for it. Seed needs to have roots that go deep. Need need to get down so that it can stand when the winds blow. Needs to go deep so that when the sun comes out in its scorching heat, it can still reach some, some moisture. But, but this seed fell where there isn't an ability to go deep. The, the, the response is good. They're enthusiastic. But they lack a commitment. They lack a devotion to go very far in life. And, and so the roots don't go deep enough. And, and when emotions wear off, I love that the message says it that way. When the emotions wear off, when the trouble comes, when it, when it starts to cost something significant to follow Jesus, when the heat of persecution comes... They give up. They they move away. They look for another easier solution to the problems that they face. And there comes no real transformation. Now we we think of people who've come and gone and we we, we think of others. but, But Jesus says this and then... Just a little bit later in Mark chapter 14, he he looks at the 12 disciples that are sitting in front of him and he says to them, you 12 have shallow hearts. You you 12 are planted on rocks. 
ungravel. People who take offense at the message and the Messiah turn away purposely and deliberately sin. And all of you 12 will be offended by the suffering, by the death that I will go through, and you will fall away. Your loyalty will evaporate. Your faith will collapse, at least temporarily. We all have moments where we're like a little bit of soil spread over a lot of gravel. And we need to understand that. Jesus says, listen, these kinds of ground, this, this kind of soil is, is a determination. It's a, it's a thought process. It's a, it's a commitment. And, and Jesus is very straightforward and truthful here. Following Jesus is not easy. You need to understand that. If you got saved at a, at a crusade or at, a, at an altar call where they said, listen, if you come to Jesus, all your troubles will, be, will evaporate. I am so sorry. That wasn't true. The initial evidence of being born again is you run into trouble. The initial evidence of, of being born again is that you run into an enemy who says, uh-uh, you're not getting past me. I'm going to push you back into the territory of darkness. You need to understand that. It's not easy. Following Jesus is not cheap. It costs everything. If you're going to follow Jesus, you can't just show up from 1010 till 1130. You show up every day, ready to die, ready to serve, ready, ready to obey. Nothing of value, nothing of substance ever is cheap or easy. An Olympic champion doesn't win gold by sitting on the couch, binge-watching Netflix, and living on a diet of Cheetos. A, a, a farmer doesn't spend 12, days, 12 hours a day visiting friends at Tim's. And, and a war is not won by soldiers who are staying down at the Marriott. Everything that has value and substance requires costly commitment and focused attention, your faith included. Verse 18 and 19, the seed that is cast in the weeds represents the ones who hear the kingdom news but are overwhelmed with worries about all the things they have to do and all the things they want to get. The stress strangles what they've heard and nothing comes of it. At our house, we have a very large front yard and we have a pretty large backyard. And just before we went on vacation, David and Debbie spent a few days not only mowing the grass, but went around the house with a weed whacker, and they took weeds down, and they, they carried those weeds and threw them over the fence and left them to dry out and die. We were away for all of August, and when we returned, the grass had not grown much because the heat and the lack of water just caused it to be a little long, not very long. But the thorns, all the thorns that had been cleared out are now back two feet or higher. Why is it that thorns are so easy to grow in Alberta? You can't eat them, you can't sell them, you can't, they just grow, they just grow. And, and Jesus says that some of the seed fell in the weeds and, and in the hearts that are polluted with all kinds of distractions, all kinds of weeds. He says people get caught up in worry 
and carrying the concerns that they can do nothing about. I was in conversation this week with two people, and, and they are paralyzed with worry. I, I'm sure that one of these persons listened to the, to the radio this morning and there's a, a, an earthquake in Tokyo and there's a tsunami or um, a hurricane, no, another kind of rain coming in, a typhoon, a typhoon coming into Taiwan and there's war in the Ukraine and there's something happening in the, in the, in the West Indies somewhere and, and they just thought, oh, we're just going to stay in bed. It's too dangerous out there. The worries have crippled them. And then he says that there's this lure, this deceptive lure that comes about riches. I, I know that you're way more spiritual than I am, and so this will come as a great disappointment to you. And... and um, and I hope you'll forgive me, but I was walking uh, in the mall, uh, I think it was Thursday or Friday, and saw the sign that says that the lotto win this week was $70 million. And I have to tell you, I spent about 20 minutes in my brain thinking about what we'd do with 70 million bucks. Thinking about if Friday, if I had a ticket and I won, would I show up in church on Sunday? <laughs> would Kyle have something ready to preach? Would, you know, like what would happen? But, but you have to understand that he says the deceitful lure of riches, because when you start doing some research into it, do, do you know that 70% of the people who win a big lottery, that's seven out of every 10 people, end up poorer in, within five years than when they won the lottery. Five years. Finally, there's this love for everything else. Everything that we see, everything that we think about takes precedence over the Word of God. You know, I'd, I'd be happier if I drove that car. Or if I had that house. Or if I was 20 pounds lighter. Or, or if I had an office in the corner with the big windows. If I was married. Or if I was divorced. Or if I was traveling. Or if I was ripped. Or if I was smarter, faster, respected, or famous. It would all be better if that was the case. Je Jesus says that's not the case. You, you haven't dealt with the essential problem. You have to deal with the sin and the broken relationship with God. You, you haven't encountered God. Nothing gets fixed until the relationship there is fixed. Next Sunday, I, I sure want you to be here. We're, we're having three folks who have recently had dynamic, life-changing encounters with God. Each one of them for a different reason. Each one of them God has shown up uniquely for them. 
But I, the, the story they tell will inspire you to go deep and, and, and dive in so that you can have your own encounter. But nothing is solved until you encounter God. Nothing is fixed until that relationship is fixed. All of the rest of our pursuits are weeds. And they grow fast and they stress and they strangle what we have heard and nothing comes of it. But then Jesus talks about this final piece of ground. Verse 20, But the seed planted in the good earth represents those who hear the word, embrace it, and produce a harvest beyond their wildest dreams. It, it, it is hearts that enthusiastically embrace and cha the challenge of God's word to us. It's hearts that listen intently with the, with the devotion to obey and, and to live out the transformation that comes with seed sown. It, it produces a harvest that goes beyond their wildest dreams. Remember we said they need, just to survive, they need 10 sacks of harvest for every so, one sack that they sown. And, and he says some will get 30 sacks more than they for every sack that they sowed, some will get 60, and some will get 100. A farmer in Jesus' day needed to have that return on investment and, and needed that 10. But Jesus says the ground of receptive seeds, something supernatural takes place. Something unbelievable takes place. Um, something beyond their wildest dreams. Last Sunday, we outlined seven disciplines, seven spiritual, best spiritual practices that originate in the scriptures. And last week, we said, we want you to work on these together with us. Somebody who's a, a dear friend came up to me and, and said, well, Bill, that sounds, th those seven things, they sound sort of elementary. Aren't these the elementary teachings? And I said, well, my dear friend, how many of them have you got mastered? And the head went down, and they said, okay, we'll do the seven. Okay? This year, we're asking about these things. Number one, we're wanting you to connect with people. We're, we're, we're wanting you to connect on four kinds of levels. Find a person of experience. Find someone who can challenge you to pay the price and live out your God-created identity. Find a peer. Find someone who can encourage you to stand firm to your commitments. Number three, find a person you can build in and inspire. Find a person who, who's young and, and needs someone to encourage them, to help them. And, and find a person, the fourth person is find someone who's knows nothing about Jesus and love and serve them and hear what God wants you to do for them so that he can do something in them. We, we've bought into the lie this last couple of years that we can do life, we can navigate faith, we can see, succeed in our mission on our own. We don't need nobody. But you see, that's a lie. God created us in such a way that he said, it's not good for you to be alone. You need a partnership. You need an encourager. You need someone who pushes and challenges you. You need to learn the importance of building better for the generation that follows you. The gospel is a community endeavor.
He set us in family. I need you, you need me, and we're stronger together. We're stronger together. Connect with people. Number two, we need you to read the Bible every day. Commit to being in the Bible every day. I don't care if you read a paragraph a day or a chapter or a Bible book every day. I want you to be exposed to its life-changing power. To realize that when you don't go there, it's the enemy pushing and stealing the seed so that you don't become who you were supposed to become. I I want you to be challenged to be more like your king, to grow and see life from his perspective, to understand that we love what he loves. We love who he loves. We stand and we pray against the things that mar and destroy the likeness of our king in us and in others. The Bible is part of that transformational process, and without it, there's no successful transformation. The third thing that I want you to do is to learn how to serve. We're asking that you'd find at least two places to serve. We want you to find a place here in the house to serve. Whether it's in worship or prayer or ushering or in Club J or in one of the connect groups. We we want you to find a place. and, and, And then we want you to find a place or a person in your community to serve them. You see, serving grows us. We, we learn to work in team. We see that the world is bigger. It's more complex than our thoughts and our opinions. We allow God to speak to us and show us that some of the weeds of worry and the lures of wealth and the hunger of things that we don't have and don't really need are just weeds. And that comes to us when we're serving. It's amazing what we see and what we, what we learn when we're serving. We weren't sent primarily to be served, although I like it when I'm served. I, I like when Debbie and I are away and we're in a hotel and I can drop the towel on the floor and just think, well, I don't have to pick it up, you know? I, I like being served, but we weren't sent to be served. We were sent to serve and to help people find Jesus. Number four, I want you to develop a hunger to learn and to grow. I want you to wrestle some of those disappointments, some of those fears, some of those those things that have held you back. I want you to wrestle them to the ground. I want you to find a good book. I want you to find a a podcast that that can inspire and and help you grow. I want you to... we, We have two seasons of connect groups, one in the fall, it starts in October, and one that'll start in the spring. And I want you to choose at least one to get into and to be a part of. Plan to grow. Learn how to hunger to get developed. Number five, I want you to pray every day. Jesus identified his house as a house of prayer. And and Jesus says, when you pray, he assumes that when you accept him, you just realize that part of the deal is to learn how to pray, to know how to pray indicating that we're able to be a people of prayer and we call ourselves followers of Jesus and we have to pray if that's who we are. We have at least three regular sessions of prayer in this house. We, once every month, we have a day of prayer and fasting. Every Sunday, we pray for 20 minutes from 9.30 on for 20 minutes and on Tuesday nights from 7 p.m. for an hour. And we're asking that you would pray first 
personally, every day, we ask that you pray for yourself, pray for your family, pray for your work, pray for your community, pray for your church. And that you would come at least once a month and join us in one of those prayer times. As I said last week, it it starts out as a discipline that you work at, but when you see God answering prayer, it becomes a passionate obsession. A passionate obsession and delight. Jesus taught us to pray and never give up. Number six, we want you to invite a friend to come with you to church. We we, we want you to look for a person in your world who needs a friend. We, We want you to be their friend and to be an amazing friend, not... Not a cheesy friend, but an amazing friend. We want you to love them and serve them and encourage them and and be generous and gracious to them. We want you to invite them to come to church with you. Every person in this room has a story as to how they got here. Every person in this room has has a, a background, has a history of how they ended up as part of the family. And every week I hear stories of people who walk through the doors of this church and, and someone said something to them. They, they were warmly welcomed. They sat in the service and for the first few weeks they, they just sat there and cried because it was safe to do so. They, then they found their purpose. They discovered their place. They they, they were loved by this family. And, and what a selfish thing not to invite others to such a great family as this. We always have room for more. We're always looking to see another amazing story. Join the family. And finally, number seven. Moy, can you come to the keyboard, please? Commit to being a giver. We, we want to challenge you to, to take God up on his offer where he says, prove that God works and responds to those who give. His challenge is this, prove me to be faithful in the area of giving. If you give, I will open the windows of heaven and pour out on you a blessing that you're not able to contain or store. Our, our focus verse says, I want you to live generously. Our identity as farmers in this field is to to release seed, not to hold on to it. Nothing happens if we just hold on to it. But to, to release seed and to believe that there will be return that sustains our needs and and gives us enough to be generous with others and gives us enough seed to sow for the next harvest. One one of the weeds that Jesus speaks about in this portion is is worry. And when it comes to giving, we are filled with worry. Pastor Bill, have you seen the the cost of heating a home? Do Do you know how much my grocery bill has gone up? Do you know that we just renegotiated our mortgage and and it's significantly more than we were paying? Giving is the best way I know, the most practical way that I've discovered to learn that God takes care of his own very well. The the, the stories are legion in my own life and in the life of this church that when when need comes running at us, God stands up and he always provides. Always provides. 
We want you to be a giver. As I said last week, it's not because I get a take on what comes in in the offering. That's not how it works at all. I don't know what you give. I, I don't want to know what you give. That's between you and God. But I just know we're coming into a season where it's going to get rough. It's going to get rocky. And if we don't know how to put our trust in God to be our supply, it's going to be really rough and really rocky. There are four different kinds of ground. There's hard and unresponsive. There's rocky and shallow, where the initial response is enthusiastic, but it fizzles out, it, it dies, it, it goes somewhere else. There's the weed-infested ground, so, so that the good is squeezed and choked out by the useless and the invasive. But, but then there's the good ground that produces harvest beyond our wildest dreams. Soil types are not something that are out of our control. He's talking about our heart. You, you can't walk away today and say, I, I wish it were not so, but, but I have a hard, non-responsive heart. You decide the condition of your heart. You decide if you hold grudges. You decide if you nurse on forgiveness. You decide if, if you're willing to, to test God, to, to trust God. If, if you feed suspicion, you will live with suspicion. Or if you reach out and ask God to help and heal, those are all yours, your choices. In a word, Jesus says, what I'm saying is this, it's time to come to maturity. It's time to learn how to put your trust in God. It's time to learn how to carry weight. Your kingdom subjects. If God before you, who can be against you? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Live like that. Get up Monday morning and live as a kingdom subject. Live out your God-created identity. Realize that you pastor the people that you live amongst, that you work amongst. Live generously. Don't hold it all. Share it graciously towards others. I've started writing in, in cards and birthday things this, this little phrase because I've been, I've been really prompted by God to live this way. If you need it and I have it, I will share it. Well, Bill, that's a, that's a, kind, of, that's a kind of dangerous thing to say. But here's the deal. Live the way God lives towards you. If I need it, God has never held back. He's always given it to me. Will you bow your heads with me? It's an exciting season to be alive, and I believe with all my heart you've been brought to the kingdom for this time. I want to start by praying for a couple of things. Number one, if you're here this morning and either you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior or 
you have, but you've allowed distance to come in and you're not as close, you're not as, as, as connected as you once were. If you're here this morning and that's you, I want to pray for you. We're, nobody else needs to know, just you and me, we'll just know. And so this is what I'm going to ask. If, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand and look at me until I see you. And then you can take your hand down. But I just wonder, is there anyone here in the room who's needing to reconnect with Jesus? Just taking a moment. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Here's the next thing. Pastor Bill, I've gone through some stuff and I'm afraid my heart is either kind of hard, non-receptive, or I've allowed all sorts of weeds to grow up and, and it seems to choke out the stuff, or, or I started out enthusiastically, but the roots don't go deep. Will you pray with me and will you pray for me? And if that's you, will you, just, will you just lift your hand where you are? Yes, thank you. Someone else? Anyone else? Yeah, good. Thank you. We all stand. Everyone stand in the room. I want you to assume a posture of surrender, and to me that means this. Father, we're a church that love people and love you. We're a church that understands something of the plan and the purpose that you've brought us together for. We're also a church that walks every day under the, the weight of the people that we carry in our hearts. There's, there are prodigal sons and prodigal daughters. There are parents who are sick and there are finances that are, are in short supply and there are demands on our time and we're worried and we're concerned about so many things and yet God, we understand that in your brilliant wisdom, you have brought us to the kingdom for this time. And so we want to be the people that you have us to be. And so God, we're committing ourselves to going hard after you. We're wanting to be a people who hear your voice, a people who hear you speaking to us. We, we open the word and we receive strength and health and life and insight and wisdom. We come together and we pray and we see giants fall and we see roads made where there is no way. We see things happen in dynamic ways. We want to be that people. And so, Father, we're dedicating ourselves to following hard after you this year, to coming into a new maturity, to coming into a, a new understanding of who you are. I pray for those who say it, Pastor, will you pray for me? I, I pray, God, that they will hear your voice. They will feel your loving arms wrapped around them, that they'll feel the warmth of your closeness. God, be so close to them. Renew, restore reignite that desire, that passion, that love for you. God, we're praying that this will be an unusual year marked with people coming to know you, marked with people finding a fullness of who you are in the Holy Spirit, people finding miracle answers to 
problems that they didn't think an, uh, an answer existed. And God, that only happens if we are your people, your kingdom subjects. And so we commit ourselves to that today. Bless us, we pray. Be with this church and this people as they go out into their area of the vineyard to do their work and sow their seed. Give them amazing returns, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Hey, listen.